Thanks for joining us. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. You are now tuned in to this episode of our podcast. Today we are going to interview some of the greatest and most influential minds in our field. And now, please welcome your host. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And we're back. It's a treat to have Rav Aaron Kotler with us. 27 years at the helm of the Lakewood Yeshiva. He's now president emeritus of BMG, based Majors Cavo in Lakewood, New York. He's involved in building kolels around the world. And he worked with Rabbi Montejo Salman of Blessed Memory, who passed away, the Mashkiach Ruchni, spiritual Mashkiach of BMG. So we appreciate you being here with us. So before we get to some of the important work you're doing in building kolels around the world, I wanted to reflect on the passing of a godl, Rabbi Matejo Salman. You worked with him. He was from England, from Gayshed. Very interesting. And he, and he helped shape Lakewood. So let's look at his legacy and who he was. Well, thank you, Ziv. Uh, it's uh, really special to be here with you, to be speaking with you and with your audience. Uh, permit me some reflections um, on the passing of of this very, very holy Jew, uh, this great Sadiq. Uh First and foremost, what leaps out from and to my heart is the warmth and love that he had for everybody. And we all kind of think we, we, we care about people, we, we're warm to people, we love people. And then usually as you get up the ladder for people who are more and more influential and more and more powerful or have more and more influence or direction over other people's lives, usually the less they're able to express that warmth and that love for everyone. And although he was so sought after and so besieged with requests for guidance, for advice, for direction, and to give uh, lectures and schmoozing and such responsibilities. Uh, the attention and love that he gave every single person was overwhelming. That smile of his, if you think of his, the beauty of, of this Sadiq, the beauty of his face, uh, just what a smile, what a powerful smile for every single person, tinged as the smiles of all the greats are with, with the, a sense of the burden and sadness for others, because we live in a very difficult world. So um, he always felt in him that he was carrying a burden, a burden of the many, many, many individuals in need and the burden of the Jewish people, the burden of the world, but yet always with a smile, always happy and uh, Always just very, very grateful. Um, I, I think that, you know, we kind of think of a mashkiach in a yeshiva as one who's meant to serve that institution and the individuals in that institution. And that's kind of their goal or their role. And rarely do you have a figure who is a mashkiach in a yeshiva, but who has such a worldwide influence on so many people where a true sense of this is a God al-Hadar because he carried the generation and he cared for the generation and he thought about the generation globally. And 
that's, I think, why he was uh, so connected to everyone in the Jewish people, those who are aware and who know and who appreciate uh, Tyra, they, they loved him. Um, so his his loss is a, a very profound loss and very, very difficult uh, for us to, to fill that loss. Now more than ever, we need figures uh, like this. We need human beings like this who are so devoted to the cause of our people, to the needs of our people. Really a really a, a tragic loss uh, for us all. Uh, Zev, if I if I can share one thing, sure, maybe you can share a story as well. Yeah, where I think the Mashkiach was was uh, prescient beyond his uh, beyond his time, but he was so thoughtful very early on for the impacts of different goings on in society on us and our children. And I'll never forget, you know, he, he created that city field, famous city field of SIFA about the internet. I mean, at the time, the world was all excited about the internet. It was like, it was going to solve all of mankind's problems. It was like AI today. Everybody was so excited. It's like unbelievable. We're all kumbaya. We're all going to connect to the great big universe and all human beings are going to love each other forever. And, It'll be a time of peace and prosperity, and we'll all be beating our swords into iPhones and uh, and, and and all uh, a great big wealth of library knowledge for the world. And he, at that time, solely and singly spoke up and said, "You know, this is not so simple. This is not this is not all going to be a blessing." And this was before ISIS was using the internet to recruit killers. And before Hamas was sending out snuff videos of, uh, of the murder of Jews and before neo-Nazis were using the uh, internet to, to recruit. And even before the dulling of the human family and of the human senses that has come about from absorption in technology and before the psychological effects of a generation who can barely communicate except through electronic means, he stood up and he said, wait a minute, this does not belong in our homes. This doesn't belong in our hearts. This doesn't belong in our pockets. If you absolutely need it, set it up in a way that it keeps us, keeps us who we are as Jews. And he got such criticism, Zev, for that. People were making fun and he's a Luddite and uh, he's crazy. And they were like, they were just... They were all bad mouthing him, and twenty thousand people showed up at the uh, at the Osifa, the gathering at City Field, and I mean, nobody in media then was talking about. No one was grilling Mark Zuckerberg, Zuck, and saying, "Hey, wait a minute, Zuck, what have you done to our families? What are you doing to our children?" Congress wasn't looking into technology. The Europeans weren't saying, "How do we control this beast?" Um, and he stood up and he said that. That was in a very big way, but I saw him do this in smaller ways, dozens and dozens and dozens of times over again, where he was able to see a trend, a very small trend emerging, a tiny trend, and from that be able to say, hey, wait a minute, this is how we should approach it and we should address it. So thoughtful, so far-seeing, 
for that alone, he deserved the Torah of Godel Adar for, for having saved us as a people from a headlong rush into new technologies, which who knows what the effect of it would have been if he had not stepped up to the plate for us. But has that battle been lost? Because, look, even the Agud embraced the Internet. You can't really exist today without the Internet. Maybe the answer is to teach how to use it with, with moderation, like everything else. You can't drink. You, you shouldn't ban alcohol, but you have to drink in moderation, for example. So, Zev, I mean, we're not going to argue now over this because we're talking about the Mashkiach's legacy, but I think that it's unquestionable. And right now, you and I are on the Internet. Right. <laughs> and you're going to have this podcast, which is, which is on the Internet. So we're not – this is not the moment for us to debate it, but that voice of caution – what you're saying, he, well, he came out saying the danger. Listen, there is dangers if you don't use it responsibly. There certainly is dangers. And for him to do that at that time, and it's hard to think of what that time was because the whole world has become alert to its pitfalls and dangers, and we still haven't figured out the solution. But I just think that that was indic- illustrative to me of how far-seeing he was and saying, hey, we really, we really need to – really need to get our act together and to early on address the challenges. And kind of sometimes in society, you know, in Western civilization, like they're all screaming about the dangers of AI right now, but they don't even know what they're worried about, the dangers of AI. Sometimes I feel like it's a Paul Ehrlich type of, you know, just a worry or, or a, or a uh, you know, one of these people just creating fear. They don't really know what they're worried about, but they sense something because they see the power of it. Um, but he knew exactly what, what that challenge was. And he, he got up and he stood and he said, hey, we, we need to draw some lines in the, in the sand here and to stand strong for who we are. How many years was he at the Lakewood Yeshiva? Oh, I, I lost track. I, I, I don't even know, but he's here, he's here maybe 20 years. Wow. But he has also, as you said, a charming, and the English accent, I think, added to it as well, because he's from Gateshead originally and then came to, to Lakewood to BMG. Yeah. So what would you say his imprint? Now, you mentioned, of course, that he was not afraid to speak out, and even though he might be a lonely voice. What would you say his legacy is is on the yeshiva itself and on orthodoxy? You know, Musser and um, our world are not necessarily bedfellows. And when the Musser movement arose in European yeshivas, it was a source of great controversy. And there were there were battles about it. There, let's call them the Stender Wars of uh, of Europe, where Musser was not necessarily embraced uh, by the yeshivas as an innovation that would lead to good. Now, whether they thought it was navel gazing or a distraction from the core of learning, uh, or what's the optimal way to get to the goal, um, and so many of us are emotionally disconnected from real avodas Hashem and from the real work on self that Musser entails, he kept Musser alive for a generation and another generation. So that gift that we have today where a Musser is an integral part of who we are as Jews, the idea that you're going to use Sforam HaKadoshim, and you're going to reflect on yourself and reflect on yourself and work on your midos 
and try to make yourself into mahu racham, afataye racham, to make ourselves godly with the godly nature, with the divine nature, with midos tovos. Uh, he kept that alive for us. And I think if not for him, you know, there's always the what if, if not for the mashkiach, um, I don't know that the generation would have had the same love of, of and, and the Musr today could be from books that people buy. It could be from, uh, you know, reading a Sefer, Rav Sham Shem Pinkus on Chumash or something, but or reading an art scroll story or learning a Sefer. Um, of course, to great varying degrees. But the idea that Musr has remained alive for this generation and that we embrace it, uh, I think it's his legacy. We're doing Rav Aaron Cutler, President Emeritus of Base Medrash Gavol Lake. We're looking at the legacy of Rabbi Matas Yo Solomon, the Mashkiach Ruchni, the spiritual supervisor of the Lakewood Yeshiva for over 20 years. You mentioned Musser. Is Musser different than it was in Europe, though? Because I think today it's different. I'm not sure if people can really take the kind of Musser. Rabbis don't give Musser like they used to give. Right, they don't have the same fire and brimstone sermons that you used to have. So it might be in the yeshiva world, but in the actual practicality of the shuls and institutions, I, I think people are afraid to give musr. You know, Ziv, I was just in Israel, and uh, I was there twice, but I was there a month ago, and I went down uh, to Nitzivot and visited uh, with a small group a widow whose husband was murdered in Sterod on. Uh, Simplest Torah on October 7th. So this uh, widow, two children, a uh, wonderful Sephardic woman living in a tiny apartment on a $2,500 a month salary from her husband. Her husband was was an Ethiopian Jew who went to yeshiva, uh, became a police officer, ran out of shul on Simplest Torah, jumped into, grabbed his gear, jumped into his car with his form still on the table drove down to Sterot, was in a five-hour uh, gun battle and with Hamas and was murdered. And her life was in absolute turmoil and upheaval. Their car was shot up and blown up and husband's gone. No, she didn't have many friends in Nitzivot, so she was going to move back to where her parents lived and total chaos and upheaval. And she was there with a friend of hers and packing up their home. And uh, we asked a question, how... How are you getting through this? I mean, the woman lost her husband. She lost the anchor of her life, utterly alone in the world, two small children. And the friend said this to me, Zev, and I heard this firsthand. The friend said to me, this past Shabbat, and she referred to the widow and herself. She said, we spent five hours learning Shar HaBetachin and Chovas HaVavos. Wow. Five hours. Now, wow. Zev. I've never learned five hours of Shabbatachim. <laughs> five hours. And I looked around. First, I looked at the room, and these were women, not necessarily dressed the way folks in Muncie or Williamsburg or Lakewood would be dressed. These are uh, perhaps you might call the more modern Israelis. And I looked around at the table, and there was this Ethiopian Jew police officer, Yeshiva Man. I don't even know how to identify him other than a hero to the Jewish people. He still had his Musser for him sitting on the table and Zeb, I took a picture with her. Wow. Permission that's an amazing story. Musser but Musser is alive and well in the Jewish people, not just in some corners and it's not just fire. And it's not, I shouldn't say just, it's not about fire and brimstone. It's about us 
working in ourselves, not accepting our selfishness, not accepting our bad mitos, saying to ourselves, we want to be like Hashem. We want to adopt the mitos of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We want to be giving. We want to be generous. We want to be caring. We don't want to be needy. We want to be emotionally strong. And, and, and that's alive and well today. Come, I'm happy to hear that. And that's an amazing story of Muna and Bitachon, of this woman in Israel who seems the odds were going against her, and she had that strength of faith. So thank you for sharing that story. In the few moments we have remaining, I want to get to the work that you're doing, building calls around the world. But I just wanted you to reflect on the growth. The Lakewood Yeshiva, BMG, has become, if not the largest, one of the largest yeshivas in the world. What do you attribute that growth to, and what role did Rabbi Solomon have in that growth? I, on my trip in Israel, um, an Israeli general, General Simchi, uh, spoke at a Hachnosa Seva Torah for his son, who was murdered by the Hamas terrorists. And General Simchi would not meet you, your and my definition of a quote-unquote religious Jew. And General Simchi wrote a Seva Torah for his son, and he said the following to us. He was there with his wife, his other children. He said, we've been under attack for thousands of years. And he said, I sense that until the Messiah comes, we'll still be under attack. And however long Hashem takes, if it's 2,000 years more, um, he said, we'll still be under attack. He said, but a Sefer Torah is eternal. And wow. Torah is the strength of the Jewish people. It is the anchor. It is the source of life for us. When you give and bring Torah to the Jewish people, it's no question that Jewish communities will flourish, that families will flourish, that multi-generational families will flourish, that interconnected networks of families and communities and peoples and shuls and, and Hasidim and Litvaks and Spartan and Israelis and Russians will all want to thrive together because our life source is being given to us, which is the Torah. No, but but the yeshiva has grown, and I think it's also changed. It used to be more of the domain of Litvaks, so you have Hasidim there. My father was there in the 50s. He got Svicha from your grandfather, Rav Aaron Cutler. But it's changed. It's grown, and you listen to lots of yeshiva. Not every yeshiva makes it, so I'm trying to get from you. You were at the helm for 27 years, and Rabbi Matish Yosalam was there for at least 20 years. I'm trying to get from you what you attribute the tremendous growth of the Lakewood Yeshiva. I really think it's the first of all, I don't want to put myself anywhere near the realm of the Mashkiach and his years here. But you in, ran uh, the institution. Yeah, you were responsible yeah, yeah. for what's going on day to day. Yeah, but I just, just not in the same vein. Um, the purity of Torah, the, the purity, the commitment to learning, uh, I believe, is what has carried. And I think that that's what carries Jewish communities everywhere. Those Jewish communities that are investing in their yeshivas, in their kailos, in their chadorim, not just in their chesed, are the ones that are thriving and flourishing. Zev, I don't know if you've ever been to Newark, um, New Jersey, other than the airport, of course. I have. I went to visit IDT there. Yeah, you went. so if you drove around the old Newark, you'll see these, these beautiful Baptist churches with 5,000 seats that were once Orthodox shuls. And Rabbi Nussin Sherman grew up in... Uh, May, may he be well, 
Uh, he grew up in, in Newark. And, and I Newark think was, Rabbi Chaim Waxak, I believe, also yeah. grew up there. I don't know if he had a yes. shul there, but he grew up there too. Remember telling and me about it. They were the most amazing, beautiful shuls and with, uh, seating thousands of people. And um, without Yeshiva Zev, it's like Omaha, Nebraska. I mean, there was a great Jewish community there too. And the communities that built yeshivas, that built kailals, that built elementary schools and high schools and chadarim, uh, that's where we thrive and flourish. So seeing that here uh, is just an amazing, uh, amazing source of, of, first of all, of, of joy, but it's a source of strength for every Jew wherever they live. So that leads me to what you're doing now. Since you left the helm of running BMG, based Manage Gavoa Lakewood, you're devoting your time to building kolels around the world. So tell us about that. That's an outgrowth of what you did in Lakewood, but you're doing that on a, on a global scale. So how is that going, and what are you doing exactly to build the kolels? Uh, so first of all, in, I should only say in part, I really believe, Zev, that strong families will only flourish in strong communities and strong communities will only flourish where they have Torah study and Torah institutions. And by Torah study, I don't mean just a person going to Dafyomi for half hour a day or real Limana Torah. Zev, look at Boca. Look at what Rav Ephraim Goldberg did in Boca, bringing in Tyra, bringing in Shiurim. Schools opened up and then look at the, the Kailal that opened and look at the number of people who are learning and then a yeshiva opened up, yeshiva Gadol, and another yeshiva. Look at look at the success of that in real time. And when I see so many communities around the globe that, and I speak to them all the time. I speak to, uh, I was just in Dallas. I was in Portland last year, um, just in Cincinnati, uh, recently in Columbus, Ohio, uh, Cape Town, South Africa, Tucson, Arizona. People realize that. And in all of those communities, there are people Leaders who are saying, not just leaders monetarily or communally, but leaders who say, we realize we want to we want to stay here. We want to grow. We want to flourish. And we want our children to live here. And we want grandchildren. And for us to have that, we really need to have very strong limit hatayra. Limit hatayra is not meant to provide us with a technical skill set to live as Orthodox Jews. It's not the same as going to college, to a to a technical college where you're gaining the technical skills. Now you know how to put on fill. Now you know how to put on sitzes. It's 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 worlds. It's universes beyond that for us. It's what feeds our neshama, and a kailo in a community says that more than anything else. Because when a kid's going to elementary or high school, they're learning how to be a Jew. They're learning how to learn a little bit. They're really learning how to be a Jew. When an adult is learning. And he's already functioning as a religious Jew, and he has a functioning home, and he lives with a functioning Arab, and the home is kosher, and there's Taras Mishbach, and there's all the mitzvahs are being kept technically proper, and that that Jewish family is still engaged in learning as adults. That's really what a call does. It's about adults engaging in intensive Torah study. Kiheim chayenu v'orach yemenu. So how does it work? You go to a community, there's no colo, you build a colo, you have to fundraise in that community. How many people do you get involved? How does the process work where voila, you have a colo now? Oh, so uh, first and foremost is um, for any community, 
it's about local will. You know, we're not we're not carpetbaggers who want to come in and uh, bring anything to a community that it itself doesn't want. So it always comes down to working with local partners who this is their institution. It's their place. It's not our place. If we're involved in a community and building a call or building any school, this is not our institution. It is theirs. In a sense, and I say this with only respect, but just to highlight, uh, when Chabad are in communities, they're in a sense branded as a Chabad place, and they're identified as Chabad. When there's a kolo in a community, we don't need that kolo to have any branding. You don't say Lakewood kolo? No, so, some do, some don't. The Boca kolo is built by Chabad Chaim. Tucson kolo, my dear Chaver, Harav Ben Sin Shade and Rabbi Harris and Grumblat, they worked with us and six families out there. It's a Chabad Chaim kolo. And the kolo we're working on in South Africa right now um, is with Birka Satar and Yushalayim. Johannesburg kolo, which we're fortunate to have a very small role in, uh, was built by South Africans in Johannesburg. The Leeds UK call is built by locals there. So our role is one of experience where we've seen it, we've experienced it, we've lived through the process and to be, let's call it a partner that enables the local community to fulfill its wishes and what it what it desires to see for itself. So they raise for the funding. You help with the funding, uh, with, with as well as a relative. A yeah, it's often a mix, mm-hmm. at least in the early phases. Um, and there's a lot of strategic planning and setting the groundwork and aligning people around the mission. So people don't just say, "What is this? Why is this in our community?" Um, a lot of educational elements to it, so that people want to come learn in the colo, and then a little bit of strategic guidance so that the institution can be successful. How many calls have you been able to establish since we've you left involved in a, We've been involved in a, in a few, in, in a number. But you mentioned not just the United States, also yeah, yeah, in Europe. Yeah, and... quite, quite, look, my father and the great Moshkiach of Lakewood at the time, Rav Nos and Vachtvogel, the two of them, Zacharnam Lavracha, as a child, very memorable for me, going back 50 years ago, seeing uh, families move out of Lakewood to Australia to start the Melbourne Colo and then the Mexico City, Los Angeles, Toronto. I mean, my, my, my memories as a child are of the moving trucks. My father wasn't looking to build up Lakewood as a massive institution. He probably sent out one third or a quarter of his them to out-of-town Colos. And so he wasn't trying to create anything for himself. He was just trying to get as many people as he can out there to build the Jewish people with Tyra. Yeah, but what's also interesting, you see, when in the early days of Lakewood, people went to learn there and went back to their own communities. Today, you have a growing, one of the fastest growing Orthodox Jewish communities is Lakewood. So you have people from yeshiva staying and people moving in. So it's a little changed dynamic. It's more of a yeshiva town because of those factors. Yeah. And for out-of-town communities, you know, it's hard to be competitive. So uh, often they, they, they themselves realize they want to up their game in terms of, let's call them the necessities and amenities of, of Jewish life. And there is something special about living out of town. And I speak to your many out-of-town listeners. They know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a, a sense of closeness, a sense of, of, of value that every single individual has, not diminishing Lakewood in any way, but there's something 
special about it. So uh, it's still attractive. And um, recruiting is always a process, getting the right families who might be interested in moving to move to a community. So you have to get, when you establish the colo, you have to get families to move there to be the seed family to keep the colo going, yeah. basically speaking. It's not people in the community. You're bringing outside people in. In a yeah. sense, it's like Chabad, where they bring in their Chabad shliach to help nurture a growing community. Right. Correct. Are you competitive with Chabad? Or? No, no, no Jew competes with another Jew. <laughs> uh, we're all actually on the same team. Uh, we wear the same uniform. But different hats on Shabbos. Yeah. <laughs> any, any closing thoughts, either on the Mashkiach or about what you're doing with the Kolo? Uh, I, I think for both, especially in this time where we have once again become uncomfortable in the world around us, uh, we realize that the world around us is not necessarily uh, in sync, aligned with our values. We haven't said it. The world has said it. We might have wanted to say it earlier, uh, but we didn't. Um, so the same folks that went after Harvard for not being synchronized with their values in terms of anti-Semitism didn't say the same thing a year ago before anti-Semitism arose. So we have not spoken about how aligned we are with Western, today's Western values, but the Western world has spoken and has said it's really not aligned with, with who we, we are as Jews. And the world has taken, uh, by and large, to a significant degree, certainly more than anyone expected, positions that are oppositional to the existence of the Jewish people as Jews. And we're once again uncomfortable, Zev, in the world around us. And when I think of the Mashkiach and I think of Jewish community building, and I think of our fealty to Torah, that's really what matters. It's not what the world says around us. It's who we are. And I think this is our time for renewed Jewish pride and renewed love for who we are as Jews, a renewed connection, total sense of we are the greatest people that have ever walked the face of this earth because we represent the divine providence. We represent the presence of divinity in this world and representing that divine presence. There's no greater mission than that. We shall walk with our heads highest and tallest ever in a spiritual sense. And it's not about fighting anti-Semitism. All that's just a waste of time, by the way. Uh, that doesn't move the needle. None of those guys... Nothing changed over the years. I think the, the most interesting thought that I saw about that Moshe looked this way and that with Kovacho. He looked to the right and saw there was nobody willing to stand up for them, the government. He looked to the left, to the liberals, to progress. Nobody stood up. So things haven't changed in thousands of years. We have, have not. But we, who we are, for us to reconnect ourselves, to be so proud of who we are, we, we represent Hashem in the world. And the world needs us and needs that more than ever right now. We need the moral That's light that mission. we present. And by the way, I think a lot of people who are not religious, and you pointed out in Israel, in the traditional sense, you see the Pintalayid coming out now, people who want to connect to Judaism and to Jewish values and to Torah because of the terrible massacre of October 7th, Simchus Torah. You're seeing more of a spiritual awakening in people both here, Israel, and other parts of the world. And I hope that we can continue that reawakening. Amen. Rav Aaron Cutler, the 
President Emeritus of Base Meredith Gavoa Lakewood Yeshiva, currently building colors around the world. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Zeph. Hey, this is Alan Dershowitz. One of the most important Jewish institutions in the world today is Talkline with Zeb Brana. He is so smart and he is so innovative and he has so many interesting guests. I don't know what Yiddishkeit, I don't know what New York, I don't know what the world would do without Zev. So Zev, Yashikoch, may you go from strength to strength and keep keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for Jewish values. Thank you for tuning in to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the talklinenetwork.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 